in a number of Let Me Tell You Something's Meltzer 5 Star Projects. The series in which myself, your Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Lorcan Mullen, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Simon Cross, have since 2019 been watching and discussing every match that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated 5 stars or higher in order to see how we feel compared to the most hotly debated voice in the world of pro wrestling who's never slapped on a pair of tights, at least not in public. <laughs> Usually, Simon, when we've got a bumper catalogue of five-star matches, as this latest issue has provided us, we're in the first or second week of January. Yep. Because that's usually New Japan's biggest event of the year, Wrestle Kingdom, and there's one or more matches that Dave Meltzer's gone the full perfect scale for. And usually one week where we're pretty safe for the Meltzer five-star project is matches around WrestleMania weekend. Yep. As we said in the past, I think for main roster WWE slash WWF, Meltzer's given seven, six, seven, eight matches in their 40 years that he's been covering them for the Observer. Five stars. When you count NXT, there's probably another eight or so as well from that period. I was just thinking, in terms of main roster WrestleMania matches, is this the first one since WrestleMania 10? No, Bret Hart versus Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13. 13. Okay, still though, that's a gap of 26 years. Yeah, but as with buses, Simon, and (laughs) not as with jokes making comparisons to buses, you wait ages for one, and then two come at the same time. Woo! Not only was it WrestleMania weekend affecting people at WrestleMania... There was all sorts of craziness going on around the indies and everything that surrounded them. A couple of matches Meltzer gave like four and a half, four and three quarter stars. But in the most Meltzer thing there's ever been, peak Meltzer, (laughs) we actually have between these two days of WrestleManias with a five star match on each one, the meat of the sandwich, a match from a random New Japan event, got five and a quarter stars. (laughs) Because that's how Meltzer works. For New Japan's equivalent of the 24-7 Hardcore Championship. Yep. But, mark this off your bingo cards. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. We're on night one of WrestleMania. We're in the main event. First ever main event of a WrestleMania, I believe, that's been given five stars as well. Yeah. Although we'll discuss that as well after you've introduced the people to what match it is we're talking about today. We are talking about a WWE Tag Team Championship match. Well, an undisputed Tag Team Championship match for the Raw and SmackDown Tag Team Championships between the defending champions, The Usos, and Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. There's a lot to cover in this, really. We'll try and be as brief as we can. But there's so many things surrounding this. And the first thing I want to ask you, Simon, is this. If you're the final match on day one of WrestleMania, have you truly main-evented WrestleMania? I think you have. If that's the case, why in the, in the four years that they've done it, 
has the Roman Reigns world title match or the big world title match between the two men, which is traditionally the headlining match of WrestleMania, not always, but traditionally, why is that always main evented night two and is the last image you see? If you take it as one big event, then the last match on that show is the main event. Regardless of whether it's covering two days or not. Okay, well that was the question I was going to fire back with. Can you consider it just one event if it is a two-day phenomenon? But it's called, it's under one banner. That is WrestleMania 39, isn't it? Yeah. Now the counter-argument you can say is, the person that headlines Glastonbury or whatever on day three, they're not necessarily the main event. Mm, True. And I think it usually is the case of the bigger act will headline Friday and or Saturday nights. Yeah. Oftentimes, Sunday is a bit of an afterthought. Mm. But it's different horses for different courses. Look at it this way. if Do you think if Vince McMahon or Triple H, depending on who you think booked WrestleMania 39, <laughs> had looked at the last matches on WrestleMania's 36, 37, 38, and 39, which one do you think would have been put on last? 36, I think it was AJ Styles versus The Undertaker, and it was... Oh, the Boneyard match. Brock Lesnar versus Drew McIntyre. Oh, yep, yep. Sorry, the Performance Center WrestleMania. Yeah. So that kind of doesn't count anyway, I suppose. But I I mean, obviously you could argue that that was The Undertaker's last match. They would have put that on last. But they didn't necessarily know that was what it was at the time. And it was also cinematic wrestling. Can you imagine how pissed off the crowd would have been? (laughs) If the entirety of the last match of their show. (laughs) Watch on the big screen. That, that's ambitious. <laughs> so let's say 36 is an outlier then. 37. Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair or Roman Reigns versus Edge versus Daniel Bryan. Which one do you think Vince would have booked last? All right, the Roman Reigns one. Okay. WrestleMania 38. What was the main event of night one? Was it Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair? No, no. Main event of WrestleMania night one, and this is some of the points I wanted to link into, was Kevin Owens versus Steve Austin. Yes, it was. Yes, you're right. Would that have main evented it, or would it have been Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar? Now, let's take into account as well that that main event was supposed to be an interview. Yes. We all knew. (laughs) It was a hedging your bets moment. Yeah. Do you really think they would have done that? If it had been a one night, or do you think it would have been the title unification match? Uh, that one I can't call because Vince is Vince uh, and there'll never be another. And I don't know, Stone Cold in the main event of a WrestleMania one more time. I think, he, I think if it was a one night, he might have marketed it differently. Yeah. And it was in Texas as well. I don't know. Vince is a crazy man. I think it's always about the closing image and the closing image is what happens on night two. So I will say that you headlined it, but I don't know if I would say you main evented it, or, or the other way around. Like you main evented it, but I don't know if you headlined it. You main evented a card, yes, because it's a one night card. But it was a card without Brock Lesnar. It was a card without Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes. Um, it was a card without the other side of our sandwich as well. Again, we'll get to that. But what it was, regardless, was a hell of an achievement. Mm. And if we do consider it. The end of a show, a WrestleMania show, part one of a WrestleMania show or whatever. The first time a tag team match has done that since WrestleMania 1. Yeah. And the first time ever that a tag team championship match has done that. 
it's not insane, I guess, because Vince has always like looked at tag team wrestling as something other. Yeah, he's always his argument's always been, it's a waste of my financial input. I'm paying twice the amount of salary for one match for the same product, and really. Vincent Mann's treatment of the tag team division has also been emblematic of the WrestleMania careers of the Usos. Ah, yes. How many WrestleManias did they go before they actually got onto the main card of the show? Yeah. In fact, due to the ticketing issue, when I went to WrestleMania at WrestleMania 32, I I missed their match because it was the first one on the pre-show. A free match pre-show as well. God, (laughs) Well, I'm just going to look it up now, the Usos' history at WrestleMania, on the main card. So their debut on the main card was at WrestleMania 34. Yeah. So that's five years ago, and they've been with the company for at least ten. Yes. But to be fair to them, they've only missed WrestleMania 37 since then, and I assume that was partly due to injury, was it? Oh, no, no, no. Jey Uso was actually in the main event of WrestleMania 37. Oh my god, yes. He just wasn't directly in the match. He was just involved in the match a hell of a lot. Yeah, one of the matches, it was the the COVID one, uh, 36. One of the Usos was there, but not both of them. Because they had to make a tag team title match, a triple threat ladder match, a singles triple threat ladder match, if that makes sense. It doesn't, but they did it anyway. Yeah. (laughs) And someone made a very interesting point on Twitter a few months ago, and this is before the WrestleMania match. Can you make the case, and actually Michael Cole, I think, mentions it in commentary. It's a strong case that the Usos are arguably the greatest tag team in WWE history. And I think you can say not just the modern era, which is like the qualifier that they gave in the commentary. Because really, pre-1984... There weren't that many tag teams that stuck around for a long period of time. There was the Valiant Brothers, um, Mr. Fuji, and Professor Tanaka. And Chiche Strongbow was in a tag team with his brother, Jules Strongbow, I think. But really... None of those leap off the page, do they? No, I mean, I'm sure some of them genuinely probably... Did. Oh, and the Wild Samoans, Afro and Seeker, they'd probably be the other big candidates. But they were, like, right on the cusp of the golden age of wrestling as well. Yeah, which is ironic, really, when you consider... The modern era of wrestling as well, sorry. When you consider that their lineage now links to the Usos as well. Absolutely. They're the, uh, I don't know if they're the uncles or grandfathers of the Usos, because they're Rikishi's sons. Mm. And I can't remember if Rikishi is a son or a cousin of Afra and Sika. I don't think Rikishi is a son of Afra or Sika. No. Roman is Sika's son, isn't he? He was managed by Afa yeah. when he was in the Head Shrinkers. Because there's that awkward line with where Vince refers to Roman's dad. And he's like, I put a bone through his nose. And everyone's like... That's funny, isn't it? The lineage that the Usos come from, I suppose, which was the Wild Samoans and the Head Shrinkers. And obviously their father, Rikishi. And the presentation of the Samoan wrestler. Yeah. And how it's evolved over time. I remember one of the first times I saw the Usos do something that sort of made them stand out. Because I remember when they turned up, they turned up and it was then with Tamina Snuka. Yep. And they were um, feuding with the Hart Dynasty. And they were just oh. doing like your generic promos. We've come to dominate. Like another thing, you know, I would love it if someone would remove Canadian Destroyers and Topes out of wrestling for a year. Yep. I would love if certain words were not used in wrestling for a year or so, dominant being one of them. 
Mm. We are the most dominant. I am the most dominant, etc., etc., etc. You're not going to get that until Roman drops his belt, at least. God, no, yeah. But one of the moments I liked was when they introduced... Remember, they did, like, a a tribal dance, like a war dance, like their version of a haka. Yes. Before they started matches. And that was the first time they really did something that like made them stand out to me. Yeah. And they had the cool face paint and everything. And I think it, when they won matches with their more upbeat theme at the time, they did like sort of like bop along to it when they'd won as part of celebration. Yeah. They have an ease in the ring and a comfort that so many people of that Anawahi heritage do. Because it's just what they've grown up around. I'm sure they were both in a wrestling ring every year of their life. Like, I'm sure literally they were crawling on wrestling rings at home Yeah, when they were babies. Funny thing as well about the Usos is that they aren't actually identical twins. Did you know that? They're fraternal twins. Yeah. They've been just a constant. And I guess one of the reasons that Vince hasn't bothered breaking them up is because of the brother aspect to it. So it's like... There's probably not much value in trying to push either of them as a singles wrestler. Yeah. Now, you can argue that what Jay has done has made him a breakout star of the last few years. Mm. And I genuinely think if you were to list a number of candidates to be the one to take Roman Reigns' title, I think for the best story now, it would be Jay. Yeah. I don't think they'd ever do that, but that's how I would book it now. If suddenly they said Vince won't let Cody win it. I'm like, oh, okay, plan B. Okay, I think J long-term would be a great plan B. And I genuinely think they could do it. I think they could do the story if they had the guts to. And obviously, the reason that this is main event in WrestleMania 39, night one, ahead of the match that we thought was going to main event in, which was Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley. Mm. Or briefly, or briefly, Austin Fury versus John Cena. Because when the poster came out, those were the two pictures on the card was of austin and cena and everyone was like they're not going to do that are they <laughs> well you'd hope that if they would have done that cena would have probably made a bit more of an effort to get out of first gear <laughs> i've heard i've not seen the match i've heard the reports yeah. it reeks of a man of i don't want to be here i've done this as an obligation to you i don't think he doesn't want to be here it's just that he doesn't want to get injured whilst he's there yeah and screw up the next scheduled filming for whatever part points of peacemaker he's at or whatever mm. uh, or his next hair appointments <sniffs> there's a man that needs to trip the turkey and so the usos were kind of always kept warm i suppose and i think a lot like daniel bryan they were really fortunate to be around at the point that they were needed for helping get the shield over yeah and that was really the first time i remember them having like standout matches First with the Shield, and then with Luke Harper and Eric Rowan in the Wyatt family. Oh, they had a great two out of three falls match. Yeah, with them once. I cannot remember the pay per view, but that was really good. Yeah, they opened it, didn't they, or something? Yeah. And they said that when they got back to Gorilla, Vince said, "You can tell everyone else tonight to try and top that." Yeah. So I guess over time, Vince saw more, gave them more trust, and then they were just there always to keep the tag team division boiling and moving along and then of course by great fortune over time it's not like with the the other sort of golden era of tag team wrestling in this century when it was edge and christian the hardys and the dudleys that whilst they did a main event wrestlemania 16 and 17 
they were a huge part of those shows. Yeah, they are iconic moments still. And all of those teams kind of came together around only a year or so earlier in WWE. Or at least were put in a prominent role only a year earlier. Yeah. And given a chance. Whereas with the Usos, they basically had to wait for five, six years before A, the New Day arrived, and B, they got programmed with the New Day in a long-running storyline, and they were having, again, some of the best matches on shows and were getting to be in the Hell in a Cell match for the Hell in a Cell show. And also, because it was three of them, it allowed a bit more variety to it. Yeah. And made the Usos look great as well, that they were essentially equals to a tag team of three. Yeah. Obviously, they never really faced them in handicap matches, but it was still, I think, another thing that helped them come across as prominent. And like I said, I've always wanted tag team wrestling to be presented as its own discipline. With the idea being that if Jimmy Uso was in a singles match with Roman Reigns, he would lose mm. 10 times out of 10. But if the Usos were in a tag team match against Roman Reigns and partner X, the Usos would win six maybe times out of 10 because it's its own discipline. Yeah. Like the New Age Outlaws, the only time I wanted them presented as equals to Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Undertaker was when it was them in a tag team match against them, not when it was singles matches yeah or the, the one i always refer to is the steiner brothers against sting and lex luger which we cover for match of the week as like the gold standard of that yeah ring of honor are always really good at doing that with the briscoe brothers they basically put the briscoe brothers in a feud with samoa joe where samoa joe would win all the singles matches and the briscoes would win all the tag team matches mm. <laughs> cut to samoa joe getting pissed at a lot of people in that in kayfabe, I mean, obviously, his partners and all that. Like, every, every time, man. <laughs> we need to talk about Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn as well, I think. Yeah. The fact that they got to this point as well is incredible. It's genuinely incredible. I mean, you, you know that Usos are always WWE guys. Yeah. You didn't think that back in the day when you saw Kevin Steen and El Generico on the indie scene. Those <laughs> no. two, I mean, one of the reasons I, we've got it lined up to be our next match of the week, which will obviously be at least a month away from now. <laughs> and I kind of wanted to do it in the hopes that maybe we would talk about the, the Usos match either straight after or we'd be able to do it as a comparison point. Because mm. it will be fascinating to see how much is different between the Zayn and Owens of this match and the Steen and Generico of the match in CZW against Super Dragon and Excalibur. Yeah. Uh, and it's a shame that then we didn't pick a PWG match, but actually, Steen and Generico are really mostly singles guys in PWG. And it's so funny that, like, this is, like, the first time, truly, where Owens and Zayn... Obviously, we're talking about El Generico in place of Sami Zayn because that's just the way that things went, unfortunately. Yeah. One day, maybe Generico will make that comeback, but Zayn's there. Um, <laughs> he, uh... I love that even WWE are keeping that story, that kayfabe intact. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> With Corey Graves and Michael Cole. Graves say, I'm glad that guy's not, uh, never made it to WrestleMania. <laughs> was that it was always that they were kind of tied at the hip almost against, at least against Steen's will. Mm. You know, the idea, I always said it was like, you know, when you were a kid or like there was someone you knew, there was a kid at school that like everyone liked. Yeah. Pretty much everyone liked. He was, he was, or at the very least, no one had dislike towards he was just too amiable too nice a person for you to actively dislike that person yeah but they had a good friend who just rubbed everyone up the wrong way maybe they were a friend from like outside of school mm. who you'd see at like a house party or something and you were just like why is this guy hanging out with this guy yeah, I, on paper this makes no sense <laughs> yeah and you're like oh it's cool that he's coming over but is his friend coming as well steen was that friend yeah 
And Generico was the guy that everyone liked. Like, during that whole, when they got over in Ring of Honor, it was like, Steam wrestled heel, and Generico basically wrestled babyface. Mm. But he was part of the heel team. Now, you've come to find out in later on that in real life, Zayn is not like an asshole, but he's certainly a guy that can rub people up the wrong way, whereas Owens... Is the chill guy. Is the chill guy that everyone likes. Yeah. Sammy, everyone seems to describe Zayn as an acquired taste. Yeah. <laughs> not a bad guy. Yeah. But an acquired taste. You have to get used to him. Yeah. I always used to joke that my friends didn't start off liking me. They just got tired of disliking me. <laughs> and I hope some of our listeners will probably relate to that as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I know what you mean from there. Believe me, I know what you mean from Wait, that. Wait, about me or about yourself? I'm myself, all... myself. <laughs> Maybe that's just what all podcast hosts are. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you see how some people are tweeting about Dax these days, then most likely. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. And yeah, I just never would have thought that those two guys would come to the WWE because, they, I mean, they had the height for the most part. They're not, they weren't like tiny five foot nine guys, but they weren't massive. Like Owen's on his best day is five eleven and a half. Mm. And Zayn is just about over six foot. But the, Zayn's problem was always that he had such a skinny build. Yeah. Like he, El Generico was so skinny. That I was like, he can never, someone with that physique could never get onto WWE's main roster. Yeah. And he never got, he's never had a defined built physique, but I guess he just bulked out enough over time. I don't know what that, I don't know if that's just age, metabolism, or him genuinely making a concerted effort in the gym to at least get some sort of bulk. Yeah. I think Edge is of a similar kind of frame and, and has always had that issue as well. Unfortunately, he also comes at a time where they aren't all just you know jack to the gills anymore yeah so i basically thought they both had their disadvantages steen was his weight and i just want to pause you on the steen thing because when i was out for wrestlemania i went to the whole jr q a thing and his special guest unannounced was jim Cornette. and someone asked him about his comments towards Kevin Owens and like, look, Slash Steen, like, do you regret them now? So I think sometime back when Cornette was involved with Ring of Honor, he was like, look, you need to drop a bit of weight and do X and Y kind of thing. And Cornette said, no, I don't regret that because he has since gone on and done those things and look at him now. He has, but I don't think he ever, I mean, he never dropped the weight fully. Yeah. He's always been bulky, and there's been points in his run in WWE where maybe there's a bit more of a belly pushing out of the shirts. Yeah. And other times when it's less so. Yeah. I mean, look, it's genetics as well. Look at his son. His son's... Look, from what he was when uh, Kevin Owens debuted on the main roster to to how he looks at now, that's genetics. (laughs) That is pure genetics. Well, I assume a lot of it's from his mother's side as well. I think his mum's quite tall. Yeah. And recently confirmed, obviously after that picture went viral, that Owen is now six foot six. So that means that Steen is, Owens is probably somewhere between five foot ten and five foot eleven. And that is less of an issue nowadays. Yeah, But the point I wanted to make was the reason that they've got over in WWE is kind of twofold. One is the changes that have happened within the WWE. But also, I do think the other part is the changes that 
Zayn and Owens brought to the WWE. Now, I don't know if that's just their good luck of timing because they came at the point when NXT was taking off. Mm. But I also don't know that it wasn't Zayn and Owens themselves that made the WWE start to change, or at least Triple H start to change. Because I, I've long thought about doing like a book about, if I was to do a follow-up book to my book, Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan. Yeah. The way that I structured that was, I based it on Fever Pitch, where every chapter was about a wrestling match, that and how, where I was in my life when that wrestling match happened, and, and watching that wrestling match, or it wasn't even necessarily a wrestling match I saw, but a wrestling match I read about, or whatever. I thought if I did a follow-up, and depersonalized it, I would want to do a book about, like, maybe the 40 most important matches in either wrestling or WWE or whatever. So that's not to say that they're the biggest 40 matches, but they're the ones that maybe affected it in the art form. I've said I've used this analogy before, but I think it's Brian Eno that gets attributed to it. He said, not that many people bought the Velvet Underground and Nico album, but everyone that bought it started a band. Yeah, like the, um, or in footballing terms, that famous England-Hungary game, that 6-3 thing, that that was a friendly, that wasn't in a tournament, but what the ripple effect it had on football tactics in that period. So there would be matches, like if you were to do it outside of WWF, then you'd include matches like the Dynamite Kid against Tiger Mask, Kenny Omega against Kazuchika Okada. Yeah. But you would also want to include, I, I would definitely include it, if, especially if it was just WWE matches, one of the Sami Zayn Cesaro matches in NXT. Yes. Because that was a moment where it was like, well, they haven't really changed much of what these guys were doing when this was El Generico versus Claudio Castagnoli. The presentation's better, and maybe they're going a bit slower, and maybe they're doing a couple fewer moves, but it's more they're fitting their style. They're not having to go the WWE way, and obviously because it wasn't under the auspices of Vince McMahon as well. And Sami Zayn also was the guy that was like headlining most of those early NXT takeovers against Bo Dallas and Finn Balor and Neville, Neville and uh, Tyler Breeze. Sami Zayn was a constant. He was really the first, and his run to the NXT title was really the first great NXT storyline. Yeah, that had the indie fans and the online fans starting to watch WWE a part of WWE more mm. than they used to. And NXT starts to become that thing now. I mean, I was thinking this, like if, they, if WWE had debuted any NXT talents on the Raw after WrestleMania, like they used to do, mm. I don't think outside of Bron Breaker, anyone that they had a debut would have got a fraction of a reaction to what Sami Zayn got when he turned up in the John Cena US Open Challenge. Yeah. What Kevin Owens got similarly a couple of months later. Or that uh, the the Revival got when they appeared at the Raw after WrestleMania. Or all of the Becky Lynch, Sasha Banks and Charlotte Flair on the same night. And then Bailey when she came a few months later. Yeah. None of them would have got that response because that's not what NXT is in anymore. Mm. But because of the work the first that Sami Zayn was doing and then Kevin Owens picked up afterwards, NXT started to become big. And then after they'd gone, it became that super indie where they were just bringing in every indie guy they could and New Japan talent as well. And Meltzer was suddenly giving NXT matches five stars, even two five stars on the same NXT show. Yeah, you look at who Sami Zayn's last NXT opponent was. 
it was Nakamura in his debut match. If that's not a symbolism of, all right, I'm going, but here's all the new guys to like watch, I don't know what is. That came because of me. Yeah. And also, the other part of that that I think has really changed how the WWE style is, or was, was John Cena's US Open Challenge. Mm. Where it was suddenly these matches every every Raw, and they were busting out big moves, and Cena was changing up, thinking, bringing things in like the Springboard Stunner, and he was doing Code Reds, and he was hitting random people with attitude adjustments, and they were getting to kick out of them. Yeah, Sami Zayn kicked out of the attitude adjustment, I think. And then he had those trilogy of matches with Kevin Owens, where it was really as much Cena adapting to Owens or the Kevin Steen style of match as it was Kevin Steen adapting to the John Cena style of match. Yeah. And that's carried through since then. And and I think that WrestleMania 39 night one might over time become this hallowed event to a lot of online fans of what could have been. (laughs) I think it already is. If you look at a lot of online discourse. Yeah, given the rating that Everyone gave the roar after WrestleMania just on the base of a couple of things, yeah. really. And Night 2 was great as well, as we'll find when we discuss in a couple of weeks' time. Well, I think it it's great. A lot of people have said it's great until Shane McMahon appears. <laughs> or, yeah, but I, my points also would be... Well, I would say if Cody Rhodes had hit the third crossroads, pinned Roman Reigns and got the 1-2-3, and the entire match had been what it had been before then... Meltzer maybe would have given that five stars instead of what he did, which was four and a half stars. Mm. As I said, we've got another WrestleMania, we've got five stars, but we also had, which is still my favourite match of the show based on what I've watched so far, which is Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley. He gave that four and three quarter stars. Yeah. And said it was probably the best women's match in WWE history. It's it's fascinating. And I think that the fact that this is main event by the Usos against Sami Zayn, and again, if you want another sign of the indification of the WWE, I decided at the start of this match to do, when I rewatched it for this, was to do a super kick counter. <laughs> so, Simon, now we're going to go into the match itself. What would you guess, cumulatively, were the total number of super kicks hit in this match? Okay, I need to ask a qualifying question for this. Though. Double super kicks count as two super kicks. That, okay, you've read my mind. <laughs> 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 All right, I've not kept count, so I am plucking a number out of thin air. 38. Okay, well, it's not that bad. How far off was it's I? one of those things where you like you think you're going to impress someone with a number and ask them to estimate it, but then they go wildly over your... <laughs> I've pissed on your chips here, haven't I? Slightly. It was 26. Oh, okay, okay. Kevin Owens hit 4, Jimmy hit 10, and Jay hit 12. And Sammy hit 0. Well, it depends, because I was looking at... Meltzer was actually describing the Huluva kick as a super kick. That No, it's not. No, it's not. It just isn't. It's a running boot. It's like a mafia kick, more than anything. But if that counts, then... We're up to 30, because yeah. four Huluva kicks get hit in this match as well. Yeah. And also, Jay at one point does like a leaping... It almost looks like it should be a leg lariat, but he hits it like a super kick, but his other foot's off the ground. Mm. It does get described as a super kick by Michael Cole or Corey Graves, but I didn't count that. But if yeah. you count that one, then there was 29 altogether. But 28 of the same move, given the... You know, I mean, famously, the Young Bucks went... It was like a parody. Yeah. 
And that is a that is a fascinating dream match we now have of the Usos against the Young Bucks. I really do want that. I didn't want that a few years ago, but now I really do want that. Purely because you know the facial expressions the Young Bucks pull in matches now. That's something now the Usos do with this sort of storyline. Well, yeah, because the Usos have been given this artistic freedom to kind of do what they want now, I guess because of their tenure for the most part, and they are indulged with those. I remember there was at least one match where... They were doing it back in the, the sort of 2010s period when, when they were doing this great run with the Wyatts and the Shield and what have you. Yeah. Where JBL literally said it's a super kick party. <laughs> Would, but that's the question. Would you rather see the Young Bucks versus the Usos in WWE or AEW? Oh, that's a toughie. My mind goes to AEW just because both sides will... There'll be more creative freedom, but then too many cooks can spoil the broth. And a lot of the window dressing that the Usos have accentuated their storyline with, i.e. the Bloodline stuff, a lot of that would still be in WWE. So it's a coin toss, but I, I'm going to slightly... I'm, I'm going to give the slight edge to an AEW ring. I think if it was the WWE where Vince McMahon had nothing to do with it, if it was the WWE of like the past six months then I would probably go WWE, actually, because like, doing it in a big stadium as well would be pretty cool. I respect that. Who knows with TK's announcement, though? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, but they maybe also could be disciplined a bit more Yeah, than they would have necessarily been in AEW because, you know, as time's gone on, that first Young Bucks FTR match increasingly sort of goes down in my estimation. Mm. Not to say that it becomes rubbish, just that whatever, like, four and three-quarter star rating I gave it at the time, I think, I don't think I would go that high anymore. Yeah, I'll have to rewatch it, see what I think, because that was like the ultimate self-indulgence. And say what you will about WWE, and really it's symbolic in this match. Like, one of the funny things about this match is it only goes 24 minutes. Yeah, and I'll tell you what the key difference is in that one. Let's, let's take the crowd factor out of it, because we are judging a COVID match versus a non-COVID match. If you look at the build for FTR Young Bucks... They fumbled, really. They really fumbled with that, oh, if we lose, we'll never challenge again. Why? You've only you've not fought these guys before. That doesn't make any sense. That was stupid. Weirdly, the way that they booked that same stipulation with the uh, recent FTR Gun Club match worked better because there was a sense of, well, maybe they are going. Until yeah. really the week before when it was like, oh, oh, the guy who wanted to put them in, like, leprechaun hats or whatever it was he was going to do. His jester outfits. Yeah, jester outfits. Yeah. Yeah. So then it became slightly less tense. <laughs> yeah. Tony Khan must be having a whale of a time right now. Everyone must be so nice to Tony Khan right now. Well, that was the thing I sent you, didn't I, after, after the results? And uh, it was Tony Khan will make a huge announcement on Dynamite. And then I sent you the gif afterwards of Cody Rhodes saying, so what do you want to talk about? <laughs> oh, bless him. Yeah, but what I was saying is, obviously, the whole FTR Young Bucks thing, that was an encapsulated bubble of, like, isn't tag team wrestling awesome? Exactly. Whereas this is, I won't necessarily call it the payoff, because maybe the Zayn Reigns match was the payoff for the Zayn arc. No, 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 this is the payoff for this, really. Because he has to pay it off with the great victory for Zayn. Ah, and I'm going to pause you there, because there's a line, and I don't think it was spoken with knowledge at the time, but it has aged like a fine wine in this match. So at some point in this match, Corey Graves says, this ain't the movies, there isn't always a happy ending. And when I was watching this match back, that got a big chuckle out of me. I'm like, there's no way you knew, but the, 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 the placing of that line compared to what happened on night two, it's just like, oh man, that's 
Chef's kiss. I know I sent this text to someone, and I can't remember whether it's you or not. And I was like, Vince is going to try and make a power play at WrestleMania. I always figured, like, if Vince was going to make a move, it was going to be around WrestleMania time. Because I genuinely couldn't see him imagining a WrestleMania without him being there and being involved. And so that may be why all these moves were made when they were made. Yeah. And I said, I think it will be that there'll be one result that will just scream Vince. And maybe it's like that's him spending his money, like showing his power, like pulling a move on Triple H, like forcing a certain result to change. Yeah. And I figured it would either be the Usos beating Zayn and Owens or Roman Reigns beating Cody Rhodes. Mm. And again, I wonder if it's because that was night two and that was the final match and that was the biggest match. But it's also equally plausible that Triple H always had planned to set up the guy who'd broken his throne <laughs> to a moment of thinking it was all going to come. And like, maybe there was part of Triple H that really had a good time when he saw the look in Cody's eyes when he was told that he wasn't winning tonight. There is a lot of Triple H doesn't forget. Yeah. Apparently, someone on Raw, when Cody was uh, being battered by Lesnar and, like, laying, someone actually in the crowd just screamed that at him. But the match itself, I thought... What's fascinating is that... I don't watch enough WWE to know for certain, but I was wondering if over the years, WWE have kind of given up on the traditional tag team structure. I don't know so much. Mm. I guess because so many tag team matches are on Raw or SmackDown, so they don't have the time to really do the structure of babyface shine... Heel, cut off, beat down, hot tag, finish sequence. Yeah. Which was how all tag team wrestling basically operated. And still does in like AEW when they're given the t- Although they actually do like double heat segments and so on now more. And FTR at the Revival obviously brought it back as far as they could. But I was wondering, because this doesn't have that. There is literally no babyface shine period at the start. It goes straight to heel isolation. And the story of the match essentially is that the Usos are as dominant a tag team as Reigns is as a singles guy. Yeah. Like, Owens and Zayn get next to nothing for the majority of the match except for the finishing straights. Uh, It's basically, Kevin is like the cleaner, but not because he's better than Sammy. It's because of how battered Sammy gets at the start. Well, I guess also because how explicitly targeted Zayn is during the match. Because he is the one that they have the true problems with. Owens has been a thorn in their side. Zayn is a betrayer. Yeah. In their eyes, anyway. What's always been great about this story is that it... And the reason that it couldn't have really happened this way with Vince is that it requires a certain amount of non-alpha male behavior. Yeah. Which is what Zayn is. like. But Zayn is able to come out triumphant at the end of it. Mm. He wins a fight, even though he's not the alpha male posturing. And obviously the story is, and I think the most significant moment, and this does have that WWE, like I said, this is like the ultimate merger of the super indie style that Zayn and Owens came from, that the Usos never really got to be a part of, but clearly kind of liked and would try and sneak in as much as possible over time in the matches when they got the time to do it, you know, the yeah. super kick parties and what have you. They obviously like the Young Bucks themselves. Mm. And maybe that's the tag team they would love to be able to wrestle as if they had full freedom. Yeah. And Zayn is a reflection to Jay in the soap opera element of what he wishes he could be. He wishes he could ultimately stand up for what's right because he does know deep down what's right. But 
he has familial bonds and his masculinity gets kind of undermined by Zayn and it is at the end of this match and we still don't know fully what penance Jay will have to serve to Roman for what he's done yeah but I think the significant moment that is like you know yelling dialogue to camera and making sure he gets picked up is when Jay is doing what becomes the finish towards the end with Zayn where he hits Zayn with a halluva kick in the corner yeah and Zayn is just out on his feet and Jay is holding him up he's saying why don't you quit and of course famously Jay and Jimmy both quit because of Roman's bullying technique. You know, Roman, like, is it Jay that loses the I quit match because Roman's got Jimmy, or is it Jimmy that he beats because Roman's got Jay? No, it's Jay, it's Jay he beats because he's got Jimmy. Yeah. yeah. So he basically has undermined Jay ever since then, and Jay is obviously bitter that he quit, but he also feels the bond of family and the fear of Roman, who is his abuser, essentially. Abusing Jimmy. Yeah, and Zayn was the guy that actually broke out of it. Yeah. But he, by doing so, he did betray Jay, because Jay was always backing Sammy up. And, you know, the reason Sammy didn't get kicked out was because Jay vouched for him. So Zayn is like, I know it's the right... I know it hurts you, but it's the right thing, and just come with me. Yeah. It's a thing that happens in real life. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so so good, is like... Yeah, everyone's everyone's seen someone that they care about with someone that's not quite right for them, and it requires a storytelling nuance that Vince McMahon is incapable of telling. I think, mm. and that's why I do wonder if so much of this is like Paul Heyman, yeah, with input from perfectionists like Sami Zayn and maybe Roman Reigns and the Usos. Maybe this is something that they've all just been able to invest so much in because maybe this is the one time they've been able to have a certain amount of creative freedom. Yeah. And maybe Triple H does have more of an understanding of it as well. Mm. And the and the whatever writers and that they have backstage that, again, had the freedom to do what they were doing. Because in fairness to Vince, this storyline started under Vince. Yeah. But it's reached this peak of the Royal Rumble and now this... And the Survivor Series with War Games, all that happened without Vince. Mm. Like the three main chapters of the final act, I suppose. God, was Vince away for that long? Vince was gone from about SummerSlam. Jeez. Like I said, that whole period of time is now going to be like <laughs> this golden age. That's going to be under the microscope, isn't it? A lot. It's going to be remembered. Do you remember when we covered Vince stepping down and you said we won't really know what Triple H's WWE looks like until WrestleMania 40 or something like that. We're never going to get that now. (laughs) Probably not. But I do also want to say, because obviously you can take a lot of what I said about Vince leaving and comparing it to Robert Moses. And obviously it wasn't a like-for-like comparison. And I did say he can never come back in the way that he was before. I always knew that it was plausible because he had a financial stake. Then when he came in to sell the company, that was also like, it's like it's the final pitch. It's like his last thing, or he's going to try and milk it for as long as he can. And now obviously everyone's saying, well, we're back to where we are and we'll always be back to it and Vince will never leave. Yeah. I am not fully convinced by that yet. Hmm. Because Vince McMahon, for the first time in all the years he's owned the WWE, is an underling. There is someone in his company that has power over him. They can say all the things that they say right now. You know what Ari Emanuel was when he first started making his money? A talent agent. Do you know what talent agents do? They tell people exactly what they need to hear to get them to sign on to whatever deal they need to make. (laughs) Ari Emanuel needs to make the most money and have the most power. 
So it may not be in 2023, it may not be in 2024, but one day Ari Emanuel might just go, you know what, Vince, we've just got to go a different direction. And Vince can't do anything about that. Yeah. And that is the first time. So it is different now. Vince hasn't, like I said, what I said, I always said he can't come back to what it was before. And he knows that, and it isn't back to what it was before. It's as close a facsimile as it comes for him to think it, mm. but it isn't it. And one day, he if death doesn't get him first, <clears throat> I still don't think. It's never going to go back to what it was before, is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people have, like, you may be wondering why we're talking about all these things outside of the match. But uh, to quote what Lorcan said earlier, this match is like the golden moment. This is like, it stands out. From a stylistic point of view of obviously all the things it led uh, that led us up to this point, like the open challenge point that Lorcan made earlier. But it's also like, we got this and this was cool. This is awesome. But we're now in this weird world where we don't really know. We know, we have an idea of what we're going to get next, but don't know for how long. And that's why night one will live in a bubble because it was like a golden time. This match will be seen as a totem. I think the closing image of Owens and Zayn holding those tag team titles together will be as symbolic for this generation as at first the Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit hugging at the end of WrestleMania 20 was, but now it's symbolic of something completely different. And really, that did become symbolic of something completely different, but fortunately less tragic. Yeah. Only like a day later. <laughs> <laughs> But, like I said, to the match itself, it is, like, epic, indie stuff. But also, you know, that stuff was already creeping in with the Austin era of main events where people were kicking out of Stone Cold Stunners and Rock Bottoms, at least at WrestleMania. Yeah. But this was even further, you know, it was like Owens kicked... I think everyone kicked out of a finisher except for Jimmy Uso, I mm. think. Because Zayn kicked out of the 1D the first time that had ever been done, yeah. like I said. I mean, it's, the name suggests as much with it being the one and done. And he also kicked out of soup kicks and all that. And even with that one kick out, I, I just want to pour um, how they presented that. Because at first it's broken up by Kevin. Kevin prevents it from happening the first time they attempt it. So, all right, we get rid of Kevin completely. And like they turn the tide on him on the announce table and urinate him through the announce table. So it's like, okay, now Kevin can't stop the one and done. We're going to hit the one and done. And you can feel the crowd like, oh... Oh, and then when he kicks out, one of the biggest crowd pops in this match is like, oh my God, okay, there's, a, there's still a chance. Yeah, so yeah, Jay kicks out of the stunner when yeah. Owens hits that. Owens kicks out of the double splash, which is always an awkward move. It always has been. You're either, either one guy's having to land on another, on the opponent's knees and probably screwing up their sternum and their opponent's knees in the process. Which traditionally is a counter. <laughs> yeah. Or the other guy, which is what the case was now with Jay, Jay, kind of has to sort of land on top of their face, but not touch their face. Yeah. And these sort of became just basically a chop to the <gasps> chest was from the top rope was what Jay hit yeah. Owens with by the end of it. So Sammy does several like big kickouts. And as I said, it will be funny to watch this against the Excalibur Super Dragon match and see what's there and what isn't there. And I think it is like... Big moves, loads of stuff getting kicked out of, which everyone always said was the typical. People have been moaning about that now for like literally over 20 years. Yeah. It's weird that the complaints are the exact same complaints for 20 years now. The more things change, the more they stay the same with people. Well, yeah, I suppose. But people weren't 
I don't know. Maybe they were going. I imagine they were going ape shit over wrestlers kicking out of atomic drops in 1983. Yeah. You know? So yeah, you're right. The more it changed, the more it stays the same. But it's funny that they do like the cliches, and th- th- instead of doing a hot tag, there are like three hot tags. Yeah. Really. There's the starting hot tag where Owens gets in the first time. Then there's the one where Owens gets up from the table. And then there's the final one where Zayn is able to tag in and we're going into the finishing sequence now. Yeah. But it's so funny that, like, literally five minutes into the match, Zayn is already doing the crawling stuff. Like I said, it's like, maybe it's like we get driven crazy by the New Japan matches. They've essentially done the 38-minute New Japan match, but they just cut out the first 14 minutes where they're very slowly doing the headlocks and Mm. going through the usual... Okada's doing his usual shtick on the outside. They just ditched that because they only had 24 minutes to work with. And maybe that's another reason why it felt kind of refreshing and different. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, it's funny what it does and what it doesn't do. It like follows the formula but subverts it because there are hot tags, but there are three of them. And like I said, there's no babyface shine. There's just... Usos probably hit about 70% of the moves in this match. Mm. And because it works, because the idea is they've held the tag team titles, at least one of those two titles, for like a record... Like, even, I think they've added another 100 days to what the new day of Broken of Demolitions record, haven't they? Yeah. They just love their long reigns right now. You know, we'll be talking about another one, not just because Roman Reigns is one of them. (laughs) But it's so funny that we're we're in this period of time, and it's like the longest reigns in in ages of the modern era, as they say. Yeah. And yeah, I think, I do think this will go down. Is it the best WWE tag team match of all time? Which was what Meltzer, well, yeah, it's about to say that, because he's never given any other ones. There are obvious other candidates, all the stuff with the SmackDown 6. Problem is, with that, you've got to watch Chris Benoit stuff. And also Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho against Stone Cold and Triple H. If we're factoring in six-man tags, then you've also got the Shield against the Wyatt family. If you've got triple threat tags, you've got the whole TLC catalogue. Yes, that's true as well. All of the Hardys, Edge and Christian Dudley stuff. If it's just a straightforward two-against-two tag team match... It's, I mean, I'm not going five stars because just some of the hokey stuff, it works within this because it's storyline focused. So maybe within what WWE can do, this is maybe the best it can do. Yeah. I would go, I'd be hovering somewhere between four and a half and four and three quarters personally. Okay. So you, you've sort of linked to where I'm at. Where I'm at is if I took the match in isolation, uh, which is the lens... I've tried to do all the five, Meltzer five-star projects. I don't think in. that's fair. I don't think that's fair. You've got to judge it by what it is, and what it's meant to be is the end of an epic story. Wait, 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 wait. If I was just looking at the, the in-ring action I saw, I wouldn't go five. But as the end of the story, and the way it was structured to fit the story it was telling, I'm, I would go five stars. Yeah, but what if the Usos win the belts back uh, backlash, and then three weeks later, Owens and Zayn fall apart on a KO show? Uh, I could only live in the now, right now. <laughs> Maybe that would change my like. It may, hindsight is always twenty twenty, isn't it? Well, yeah, like I've said, now in hindsight, I maybe would knock down the first FTR Young Bucks match. So yeah, absolutely, yeah, it's fine for what it is. If it is what people thought it was in that moment. Mm. Then yeah, I, I'm I'm fine with anyone giving that five stars, including Meltzer. Although it would seem like Meltzer's usually not about that, you know, like the storyline stuff. He is more about what's happening in the ring, and in the ring, it was kind of almost overindulgent, almost like fucking twenty eight 
however many super kicks it was, <laughs> the fact that you thought it might have been 38 says a lot. Yeah. Uh, a, lot, a lot of other moves I remember in that match, let's put it that way, apart from the halluva kicks at the end. Yeah, it's weird because Zayn's done that that thing like two or three times already. I mean, I was wondering if they were going to literally recreate the moment where he knows he's going to get Neville with the halluva kick. And mm. he just, like, in that moment, he centers himself. And he basically yeah. repeats it with this. And I was going to say, though, Sami Zayn, I do think, is almost like Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens combined are the Mick Foley of this era. And that was what Mick Foley kind of represented at that time. Like, the f- unusual physical specimen being able to become a main event star. Okay, yeah, yeah. Not fitting the mold, and Zayn and Owens are as close as that's come to now. And coming from a world of wrestling, or at least having a reputation for a world of wrestling, that was also the style of wrestling that never got into the main events. You know, the brawling, and and obviously they played up more the deathmatch cactus jack, which was really only a short period of his career. But nevertheless, it was different to what would be presented on mainstream television, for the most part, at that when he initially got signed, anyway. Yeah, and WWE always used to present the indie scene as, like, a place for schmucks and losers, for the most part, whereas... Now for Owens and Zayn, it's like the hard, long journey they've had to go on together as best friends to reach this point. Yeah. And like I said, the funny thing is on screen, they've rarely ever been best friends. Like actual affection for each other. That hug they gave was one of the first moments of true affection given both ways. (laughs) (laughs) In the 20 years that they've been on screen together. Yeah, apart from their weird bit when they were working together against Shane and Brian. Yeah, but that was more just like they were both arseholes and like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I suppose. Situation. Go with what I know. (laughs) That that was the last big WrestleMania match the two of them had was together was against Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon. Yeah. I mean, how they must feel. And they played it up with the PWG insignia on their shorts. And 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 the Super Dragon logo. Do they have a Super Dragon logo? One of them does, definitely. Wow. I can't remember which way round. It I is. looked it up. It's not as romantic as I hoped it was that like that PWG venue was like just down the road. It's like it's like 25 miles away. <laughs> but that, wow. But it's still, there's still a romanticism to that. When Owens, and I love it when they do that shot where you're following with the wrestler yeah. going out towards it. And Owens, you know, I remember him doing an interview with Colt Cabana after Sami Zayn got signed to NXT and was becoming a star there that steam was talking to Colt. It's like, I'm still working a job and I hurt and I've never made any money out of this. And it's kind of bringing me down. And, you know, it was like, and then just six months later, probably because of what Zayn was doing in NXT and changing what NXT was, Triple H took those risks with Kevin Steen and mm. to a lesser extent, Finn Balor and Shinsuke Nakamura. And then later on, Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa and Adam Cole and Roderick Strong, and Kyle O'Reilly. It was Sami Zayn that really opened that door for them, and Daniel Bryan as well, obviously, and CM Punk. But Sami Zayn changed the the style to me, Mm. more so than Daniel Bryan and CM Punk really did. Okay. That was way more a Steen and Generico match than I felt any Daniel Bryan match was a Bryan Danielson match. I suppose. I suppose that's why, like, now Danielson's in AEW... Now, now, in terms of five-star ratings, he's getting his flowers kind of thing. The closest we got to the Brian Danielson match in WWE was that two-hour three-fours match with Sheamus, which we covered in the past for Match of the Week. Yeah. Which we then realised in hindsight was a Masanobu Fushi tribute show. <laughs> yes! So, well, we've talked and talked. We haven't actually talked that much about the match, but I think we've covered enough of it to feel like we can call it a day here. Yes. Uh, it was an epic WrestleMania length for an epic WrestleMania match. <laughs> 
And as we said, it's the bread of the sandwich of five star matches from this weekend. But what is the meat, Simon? And it's involving a man that has plenty of meat on it. Well, two men with plenty of meat on them that probably slapped some prime bruising out of each other before we even get to the more inflated version of that in the WWE. Ah, yeah, sorry, I'm just hearing in my head Big E as you say it, that, that's why I'm laughing. We're talking about a match between Five Star, I can call him a mainstay now, Shingo Takagi, and Five Star debutante, as we've had some debutantes already in, in this, Aaron Hanare. <laughs> Aaron Hanare. Aaron Hanare was involved in a match that not only Meltzer gave five stars, but because it was the best match of the weekend, he bumped that up to five and a quarter stars. So technically, this is better than what we've just talked about. From what Dave Meltzer is suggesting, Aaron Hanare had a match that only one match before 2016 was better than, because that's how Meltzer maths works. Yay. (laughs) But until then... Simon, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free, and I'm going for the obvious one, free for the number of halluva kicks it took to put the Usos away at the end. My name's Lorcan Munn, and that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N, and the A-N at the start of Angeles. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. If you put in at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Yes, I was aware that it actually took place in Inglewood. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. Efforts of lovers Left in my mind I sing in the reaches We'll see what we find bothering you is i'm getting bing messages no 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 i don't have any it's an ai preview this is terrifying (laughs) we need to move away from skype oh that's that's yeah he's saying he's literally saying i'm an ai preview so i'm learn still learning sometimes i might say weird things don't get mad at me i'm just okay i'm gonna i'm gonna have to give this guy the clippy treatments What if it is Clippy? What if that's how they present AI in the future? As Clippy. Oh, God. Clippy will be our overlord. Ah, I'm scared. (laughs) Can we please get back to the wrestling? I'm scared. Yeah, okay. Back to the wrestling. (laughs) Talking about other dystopian futures that we've got. (laughs) 